Good afternoon and welcome to Town Square. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. As we like to say each week, this conversation includes you. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open, 941-3689 if you call us from Oahu, or 877-941-3689 if you call us from the neighbor islands, or if you're listening to the live stream, you can use that number too. Now you might say this has been a year of endings for Alexander and Baldwin, 2016 was only days old when the company announced it would close its HCNS operation on Maui at year's end, effectively bringing to an end Hawaii's sugar industry and ending the employment of 675 workers. As the year wore on, Maui water rights became one of the focal points of the legislative session, and prior to passing the water permitting measure, Bill 2501, A&B announced it would end diverting water from seven streams with the full restoration of flow. Meanwhile, the question on everyone's lips seemed to be what would happen to all the A&B land once filled with waving sugarcane? That question is still hanging in the air despite a lot of talk about diversified agriculture. So tonight we're going to take up the future of A&B's Maui lands and their relationship to the future of Hawaii agriculture and agribusiness. Joining me are A&B President and CEO Christopher Benjamin, HCNS Maui General Manager, excuse me, Rick Volner and Scott Enright, the chairman of the State Department of Agriculture. And you, too. And again, if you'd like to join the conversation, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Thank you all for being here, for making the time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to go right around the table and, and talk to you about what you see happening in Hawaii as we see so many impulses with calls for you know, greater food security, a push toward a greater ability to grow here, to feed here, concern over exactly what will be grown here, and then, of course, the tension between food production and agribusiness. So from each of you, I want to just get a sense of how you see this great thing we call Hawaii agriculture. And I'll start with, I'll start with you, Chris. Well, thanks, Beth Ann. I think that it's a very exciting time. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an easy process, but I think we have opportunities that have presented themselves as a result of this very unfortunate, you know, sad shutdown of the sugar plantation at HCNS. Um, as I said the last time we spoke, the monocrop sugar model was very, very um, scale um, intensive. It, it required economies of scale. It required virtually every last acre of land, every last uh, drop of water to go to the sugar crop to support the very high fixed cost operation. And at least with respect to our lands on Maui, I think we have an opportunity as we transition out of sugar to look at new models. Now, that doesn't mean any of it's going to be easy. Um, we've been looking at various crops for a very long time, and we know that we uh, it's going to be hard work to find uh, crops that will fill anywhere close to those 36,000 acres in the very near term. But if we start plugging away and we start identifying the crops that we think can work, um, and in some cases that will be uh, grass for cattle, and in other cases it will be food crops, and in other cases it could be energy crops, I think we have a great opportunity. So we have to start with that. We have to also acknowledge the challenges, the different viewpoints, and we have to have a con- conversation about how do we balance all those different objectives. But I think we, we have to start optimistically and say there's an opportunity here. Rick? 
Well, I, I definitely would uh, echo a lot of Chris's sentiments. Um, and as Chris pointed out, I mean, it's obviously uh, it was a big decision and it was a sad decision. You know, the uh, unfortunate decision regarding the sugar cane, the 36,000 acres in the Central Valley. But it also presents a number of opportunities for us. Um, and I think as we talk about agriculture and different opinions about agriculture in the state and on Maui, um, obviously, you know, those are very important conversations. And I think the most important part about it is that those conversations are taking place, that people understand that agriculture is extremely important to the state and to the future of, of our islands. Scott, this is something that, that you hold at a, a, a perhaps a, a higher level looking at, at it statewide, hearing how A and B and, and possible plans, we don't really know what will happen yet, will fit into that. But as you look at the state in general and having heard what the governor has said in terms of having much more of our food production by 2020 and being able to feel that this is a place where, where ag has, a, forgive me, a foundation, how do you look at it going forward and what do you see now? You know, as I look at it, Beth Ann, I, I see Hawaiian transition. You know, we had a lot of our prime acres tied up in plantation crops, sugar and pine, and we're transitioning out. Many of the states around the country have a a long and rich history of family farms, and we haven't developed that in Hawaii. So I I echo the the sentiments of of Chris and Rick. There's opportunity here, but we, we need to transition into what's next, and we have to find the capital to do it. So we'll have our small farms, but we're also going to need to find the capital to come up with certain scales that work in Hawaii. The scale that we get that works here for for something like veg crops, it's not going to be the same one that exists in Oregon or California. So we have to find what works here, and that's all about price point. So it's going to take us a while on this transition. Many thought that as soon as you know, acreage opened up, whether it was, you know, on the Big Island or Kauai and now on Maui, we would automatically transition to a diversified agricultural economy. And that's been slow in happening because we need to find the entrepreneurs that want to do it because they're not just Aggies. They're entrepreneurs. And then they have to capitalize what they're going to do at a price point that works for them. When you talk about the price point here, we know very much from a consumer side that the price point here is different than the price point in Oregon or just about any place else. What is that differential that you see that means the difference between success or failure for someone coming in to potentially be involved with this transition? You know, again, you look at and when you and I spoke last, one of the farmers that I called attention to was a gentleman by the name of Larry Jeffs. Larry and his son Jonathan work here on on Molokai and on central Oahu. And he produces a million pounds of fresh produce a week that's all sold in Hawaii. He's found scales that work, and that's for bananas and that's for tomatoes. And, you know, that can be done for other crops too. And so that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for farmers to step in, you know, see – a scale that works for them and 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 commit. What do you think would be another crop that we would be looking to bring into Hawaii or to redevelop from Hawaii as you've just heard what what Chris and Rick have said about perhaps what what 
the Maui lands are going to be used for. You know, there's there's certain crops that hold real opportunity. Mango. You know, right now we're importing a lot of our mango from South and Central America. That's a crop that, and it, it takes some patient money because it's a tree crop, but that's a true opportunity. And we're talking to individuals now that are looking to invest in acreage of, of mango. I mean, bananas hold promise, too. It's, you know, it, Larry Jeffs, when he started out, his first crop was watermelon because he realized that with the, the bulk and the weight, he could be competitive with watermelons here in Hawaii competing with, with product that's coming in from out of state. And so those opportunities exist. Pineapple, I mean, one of the opportunities when, when Chris and Rick open up land, Haile Miley Pineapple Company on Maui is looking to expand. And that acreage opening up will allow them to do it. It's an iconic crop that we certainly want to produce more of in Hawaii. I'd, I'd hate to think of us importing pineapple from Costa Rica to sell, you know, in Waikiki. So we need to, there's an opportunity in that crop. There's a number of crops. And, you know, it'll continue to open up. If you look at what's happening in California with water, as they run out of water, they're, as they're doing in, in Australia, we were a water-rich state. We've got water resources, especially if we use them judiciously. It will help with that price point because the cost of produce is going to continue to go up on the mainland and globally. We become far more competitive here, especially for our local market. Not that we're going to be an export platform for produce, but we can grow far more of our own. Scott and Wright just brought up the issue of water, which might be a good place for us to sort of pick up where we left off, too, when we talked about the, the Maui Streams restoration. And there was some talk that there was going to have to be some delay on about five of those streams. Where is all of this now? Rick? So we continue to work on uh, restoring water to these streams, um, the seven streams that we identified as the taro streams, you know, basically the streams we were going to stop divergence on have all but basically stopped diversions. You know, there may be small diversions that still need work, um, but in for the most part, 100% of that water has been restored. Uh, and we continue to assess, you know, the other streams in the East Maui areas uh, to see which diversions will make sense. And again, to understand what our water needs will be as we diversify the plantation. And what about the completion of the permit or the application to continue to divert water elsewhere? So that that process is still ongoing. You know, there's a number of parallel processes, uh, in, including the interim in-stream flow standards, which are being uh, reevaluated. Uh, we've begun work on an environmental impact statement, which is a precursor to um, basically continuing the application for the, the land lease. All right, we've got callers on the line. Let's take a few callers. If you'd like to join us, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Brooke calling from... I think this is Kailua. Brooke, are you there? Hi. Hi there. Uh, um, I was wondering, has anyone been able to make diversified ag a success in Hawaii so far? Okay, we'll ask that of Scott Enright. I thought it would come to me about that. Uh, yes, there's a, and if we're talking about individual farmers, that's, we certainly have a number of farmers we can point to. And just a moment ago, Brooks, we, I was talking about a, Larry Jeffs on on Oahu, and he also does business on Molokai. 
does a very successful diversified agricultural enterprise. It produces a million pounds of fresh produce that's all sold here in state. I think that's a success story. Brooke, thanks very much for the call. I'm going to move on now to Harrison calling us from Hawaii Kai. Welcome to Town Square. Hello? Hello there. Is this Harrison? Yeah. All right. Welcome to Town Square. Did you have a question? Yeah, I was just wondering, um, does A&B have any other diversified egg farmlands in the state? Yeah, Harrison, we do have, um, first of all, on Maui, outside of the 36,000 acres that were farmed by HCNS, we do have, um, what, Rick, another five, 7,000 acres of, of ag land that are in various uh, forms of agriculture. Some of them are, a lot of them are cattle pasture. Um, I believe we still lease some lands to Hale'i Miley Pineapple Company. Is that right? Or? Uh, private grower. Private grower, okay. And uh, so we do have other lands on Maui. And then we also have um, some lands on Kauai. We have about 3,000 acres that we um, have in coffee cultivation. We have some lands in an ag park on Kauai. We have some other lands that we lease to other um, other ag users. So we do have lands on those two islands. Would there be any of those crops that you'd like to see replicated on Maui? Are you looking to do something perhaps completely different? Well, I think that you know the, the primary crop that we grow on, on Kauai is uh, coffee. And um, we certainly will look at coffee as one component of a diversified ag uh, solution on Maui as well. It's very dependent on elevation and you know the, the, the various microclimates. But that would likely be one of the components of a long-term diversified ag plan. There's also been a question of whether or not there will be a return to some traditional crops from Hawaii, breadfruit, for for instance, other things that might mean that we have to change our taste a little bit or learn to appreciate something that maybe just simply slipped by. Any chance for that? Uh, You know, breadfruit's getting a lot of attention. Um, changing consumer preferences, which I think is something that you were relating to, is exceedingly difficult. You know, individuals that were brought up looking for wheat products, oat or corn products, moving them over to, you know, a breadfruit flour, say, um, would be difficult, especially if the price point isn't correct. You know, individuals with disposable income might be predisposed to taking a close look um, people, and this is most of the consumers in the state that are looking at price point, you know, and the, we might have a harder time getting them interested in the product. But we continue to see the acreage and breadfruit go up. And what we're looking at is the post-harvest work, that the value-added side that needs to be done with breadfruit. It's highly perishable. So as fresh f- food, um, there's only a limited amount that can be done with it um, because it's so perishable. It doesn't hold hardly. Um, so, But if we can turn it into flour and other value-added products, it, it has potential. That sort of brings up another point about the, the way we look at food, in particular since people are so concerned with food and food security, that we've gotten very used to cheap food, many generations of having just when their minds good cheap food and then finding out that maybe it wasn't so good and and maybe it wasn't so cheap after all if you factor in other parts of, of the cost but the bottom line was at the grocery store it wasn't all that expensive now we've seen 
a lot of turn in that. We've talked to a number of, of authors and people who've come through Hawaii at the ag conferences who've all said that, you know, we have to change our, our relationship to food. For Hawaii, that seems to be particularly a difficult situation because everything we have to bring in here mostly and why there's been this impulse for can we grow more here to feed here and can we bring back some of these other crops. So for those of you listening, we want to know from you, given the fact that uh, you may be used to paying a certain amount for certain things, what would you pay? Would you be willing to pay a little bit more to be able to get good, fresh food here, if that means changing your taste a little bit, maybe coming back to issues of seasonality, although we have seasons that allow us growing, a growing season so much longer. But are you really willing to make some adjustments in your consumer habits when it comes to food, particularly as we're looking at the A&B lands on Maui and generally throughout the state? Where are we going to go with this land and where are we going generally with ag? We're talking about that tonight with A&B president and CEO. Rick Ben, pardon me, uh, Chris Benjamin is here, and Rick Volner, the head of HCNS on Maui, and with Scott Enright, the chair of the Department of Ag. If you'd like to join us, 941-3689 is our number from Oahu. That's the one to use, or 877-941-3689. Going to Jean, calling us from Honolulu. Aloha, Jean. Thank you for your patience. Well, I, of course, would love to have more local food. <laughs> so to answer your question, I'm one of those that really I would love to. I, I would pay more just so that I know what I'm eating. Um, but my question is, I suffer from celiac disease, so I'm always interested in any gluten-free type of food. And I heard you might be growing sorghum there in Maui. And, and if you are, like, do you think it would be successful? And what are the benefits? Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, we are doing a, a number of test projects with sorghum. Um, currently, our focus has been sorghum for a biofuel <clears throat> or bioenergy feedstock, but also as an animal feed. And it could very well be also used for, you know, gluten type, um, free type of uh, replacements. So, so far, you know, our preliminary results have been positive. Um, you know, it has a number of characteristics that are very similar to sugarcane, so we feel very comfortable growing it, and our climates, our lands, our soils, um, you know, respond well to it. So I think that there are, you know, very big opportunities, you know, with sorghum in the future. Well, for a lot of people who do have issues with, with gluten, of looking for alternatives might mean that they might want to see some of that breadfruit flour. That that could be a possibility. But then again, there has to be the mill, there has to be everything else to be able to take the fruit and turn it into the flour. And that's where you're saying that a lot of costs are coming in. Right. And, you know, it, <coughs> excuse me, we would need production at a certain scale to get the model that is necessary to capitalize those post-harvest facilities. So that's what we'd be looking for also. If you'd like to join us tonight, we're taking a look at the future of those A and B lands. A lot of people wondering what's going to happen with those. We keep talking about diversified agriculture, but what exactly that means in the context of these lands and in the context of, of Hawaii's agricultural future. Agriculture, agribusiness, what's the balance there? And how much can we be growing here to feed ourselves better? We're talking about all that tonight with you on Town Square. If you'd like to join us, 941 941- 3689. If you call from Oahu, that's the number to use. Or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Going now to Debbie from Kapolei. Aloha, Debbie. Welcome to Town Square. 
Hi. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about industrial hemp, and I was wondering if you guys are thinking about growing that. So we are interested in industrial hemp. Um, a recent law that was passed in the state uh, allows for a testing protocol. We're currently working with the University of Hawaii uh, and the department, uh, DEA, um, to, to basically receive a permit to allow us to import industrial hemp seeds into Hawaii. And we look forward to, if, if we can get that approval, working with the university to, to put in a test crop to really understand the potential, the opportunities, and the challenges with industrial hemp in Hawaii. Debbie, thanks very much for the question. What I'm hearing all of you say is everybody had better understand that this is not going to be fast and that there's going to be a great deal of experimentation and that there has to be a plan for all of this that is going to also take some time in developing. If you had to look at what you know now, what kind of timeline are we looking at? Well, Bethann, I think that to get started, it's a very short timeline. We are already pursuing cattle pastures. We're, we're, we're fencing cattle pastures. We've got um, cattle from uh, the various Maui Cattle Company ranches that are now uh, on our lands, and we're, um, you know, experimenting with, with the productivity of those lands, and we're going to be expanding that. We're going to be fencing um, probably a couple thousand more acres fairly soon, and we'll be growing that. But so, that sounds like the easy part. Well, that it, it is, but my point is that when we identify things that work, we're going to pursue them. We're not trying to get a grand plan for 30,000 acres all put to bed before we start it. We're going to be doing, it's going to be It'll be piecemeal. A rolling, it'll be yeah. a rolling process. So so that's the good news. The, the bad news is that some of those things that come along that, that work may work on 100 acres, and so we'll roll them out. But it will take a while before we can, um, you know, uh, consume or, or utilize most of those acres. Um, I think that the long term, um, you know, that, that hopefully in the, in the sh- near to medium term, maybe two, three, four years, I'm hoping that we've got some use identified for a good chunk, maybe whether it's 30%, 50% of the plantation, into a crop that p- potentially could be a biofuel crop or something like that. Now, that is not, that's not the, the, the holy grail here because we know that we want smaller uh, plots dedicated to food crops and that sort of thing. And if you grow something on 15,000 acres, that's much more likely either to be an export crop or preferably be a biofuel crop that could at least reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. But I hope that simultaneously we're getting some of those 100, 500, 1,000-acre uses identified, whether it's um, food crops um, or uh, it could be tree crops, it could be uh, row crops. Um, We're also looking at how we can support some of the other ag uses that are coming into Hawaii. The, the governor has made mention of of, um, uh, of of laying hen operations, and those hens are going to need food. And to the extent that we could, you know, grow food for those hens, that would be uh, productive as well. It helps go towards food security. That's just an example. Um, so we're going to be looking for these things, but it's it'll be a long process, but it will start soon. And, uh, in fact, it has started, and uh, we'll roll out more things when we can. But all of that said also means that as you're calling farmers or entrepreneurs to come in to do this, there has to be an effective business plan. There's going to have to be a lot more attention paid to smaller um, you know, smaller farms, smaller right. concerns, 
which is a very different type of operation than when you have a massive one crop, you know, monocrop situation that we've been seeing in past, which means it can be much more intensive in terms of, of, of management. Well, it can, but that's why we're very interested in working with others, whether it's um, in partnership or leasing land to third parties, so that they can come in and, and do that. We're not trying to control these solutions. What we're trying to do is reach out to as many people as possible to look at what can be done with these lands. We've, we talked last time about an ag park that we'd like to work with the county to establish um, in the very near term. We've also had, uh, Rick, it's, it's at least dozens, and I think it may be 100 inquiries from different people with, with various ideas for food crops, for other uses for the land. And we've entertained all of those, and we've had discussions, and a lot of them have provided you know, business models and business plans. And, and where there are viable opportunities, we're going to pursue them. And there are some that we're, that we're pursuing. But we're definitely not trying to do it all ourselves. Um, we want to get this land redeployed, and whether it's through a lease or through if, – if there's some way that we can support the operation, great. If they can come in and, and do it turnkey on their own and we can lease them the land um, – we're we're very open to that. So what will they have to do to, to prove that to you? Because there are a lot of people listening who have some perhaps great ideas. Uh, maybe they've already contacted you, others who may yet to do so. What are they going to have to do to show you with their business plan to make it either a turnkey operation where you say, here you go, here's the lease, or maybe this might be something you want to do in partnership? Well, certainly if anybody wants to come in and do something on their own, it really just gets down to a negotiation over a land lease, and that can be a very quick process. But what we've found is that it's also helpful given the experience we have in looking at a lot of different crops and farming these lands and knowing the different microclimates and knowing the various challenges uh, that we can sit down with them and help them understand, frankly, poke holes in their business model and, and help them refine it. Um, and so it really it, it depends. If they want us to partner with them in some way, whether it's you know, uh, contributing the land rent-free or doing something else, then then that raises the bar in terms of our the, the necessary comfort that we have to have with the business plan. But if they're simply coming in to lease land, there's 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 land available, and we're we're a willing uh, uh, landlord. But by the same token, you, you want to increase the chance of success sure. with someone, not to have someone sure. do something that's not at all going and, to. And that's why we have both. Maybe you have to turn it around. Right. And both Rick and, and another gentleman that we have dedicated full-time to looking at these diversified ag opportunities, they're meeting almost daily, probably daily, with various parties and helping them you know, stress test their business case and make sure that it, it makes sense. Maybe Rick can elaborate. Yeah, and Chris mentioned the ag park, um, and we really think that the development of, of an ag park really gives some of these more entrepreneurial farmers, maybe someone would consider a niche farmer, you know, someone who's really trying to prove a concept an opportunity to come into a, a microplot, maybe something as small as half an acre in a, in a facility that has the infrastructure, it has the irrigation, it has everything you need to get to get going. And then you can prove that concept, you can prove that business model, and then grow that out to a larger scale lease or you know potentially even purchasing land in the future to run a farming operation. So in the short term, we really think the development of the ag parks will serve you know, to really further our goals as far as food self-sufficiency, but also giving these entrepreneurial farmers an opportunity to try some of these, these new crops or these new techniques. And winnow out those that, that might work well and those who simply can't. Can you say any, any of the, the types of, of approaches that you've had and, and what they want to grow? Uh, we've had, you know, as Chris pointed out, you know, dozens, you know, 
basically every week we're looking at different crops that people have brought to us, different business proposals, uh, everything from traditional crops. Um, we've actually had some some breadfruit, some ulu, you know, presentations uh, to aquaculture, to aquaponics. Um, you know, so it's some very exciting, very interesting, very different types of agriculture than we're traditionally used to in Hawaii. Um, and I think that there's opportunities in a lot of those um, businesses that they've brought to us. If you're just joining us tonight, we're looking at where does ag go from here with the A&B lands now available on, on Maui? And uh, in general, where is our state going? Scott Enright is here. Chris Benjamin is here from A&B. And Rick Volner, who you just heard speaking a moment ago from HCNS. And you, too, if you'd like to join us, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Kathy calling us from Hawaii. Kai. Aloha, Kathy. Thank you for your patience. Oh, thank you. Um, I'd like to know what crops are you testing right now? So currently we have, I I would say, three major um, projects or initiatives that we're working on. Obviously, the development of the Ag Park is is one, and that's not a specific crop, but that will facilitate a number of different crops being grown. On the bioenergy side, um, we're looking at a number of crops for biogas production as, as, as well as biofuel production, things like sorghum, corn, soybeans, sunflowers, safflowers, canola, you know, some crops that maybe traditionally haven't been grown in Hawaii at large scale. Uh, And then, of course, as Chris mentioned, the livestock, the grass finishing uh, of beef, you know, we think has great potential. We've got irrigated pasture trials, unirrigated unirrigated pasture trials as well. So those are kind of the major, you know, points of emphasis at this point. Kathy, thanks for the question. Now we have Diane calling us from Wailuku. Aloha, Diane. Welcome to Town Square. Thank you. My question is, are there enough farmers on Maui to farm A&B's land? Well, we always hear that, you know, farmers are aging, that the average age is a bit north of 50. So to her point, yeah, and you're going up, up, up even more. To her point, are there enough farmers, young or maybe not so young, who would be able to farm this land? Do we have the talent? I, I think it's no surprise that the, you know the average age of farmers is getting up there. Uh, we're seeing less and less people come into um, you know the the profession. It's a tough profession, lots of risk, uh, but we also are seeing uh, some fruits of of some programs that have started recently. You know, grow some farmer programs. UH Maui College is is really turning out some very talented you know agriculturalists farmers. Um, and we're also seeing, I was just at a Farm Bureau meeting last night, we're also seeing some children of farmers returning and actually taking over some farms, you know, on Maui. So I think that that's, you know, they're all positive steps. But I think in general, we, we all have to work harder to develop more farmers because that's what it's really going to take to feed and fuel our state. Scott, which sort of brings back the point about trying to look for partnerships and, and entrepreneurial types as well as traditional farmers is that search a little different than what we see happening with trying to bring up more farmers? You know, I think it's uh, one and the same, Beth Ann. We've got, um, and as Rick mentioned, they've had a number of inquiries about the possibility of using A and B lands on, on Maui. And we have at the department a number of, of startup farmers that want to go in. So we might have enough farmers it's whether we have farmers that are going to farm at a scale that can make them successful. To the extent that we've got a, a small farmer that starts up that never can maintain, say, a middle-class lifestyle, 
they're not going to stay in farming. They're going to leave. So we need to get that, again, get that scale right. Um, so we, And this goes back to the point I made earlier. The state is in transition. So will over the course of the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I think it's going to take that long before we fully realize what agriculture is going to be in the 21st century. Which is to say that some of the the focus on what's happening with A and B is somewhat of a small part of that, but could fit into it depending upon what that vision emerges or how that vision emerges. Without a doubt. You know, A and B has um, an amazing 36,000-acre farm. Now, it's it's large. It's sprawling. It's um, many different areas. Some are windier than others. Some are drier than others. The soil types vary. So you can do a number of different crops. The But the opportunity, and this is where we started, the opportunity that exists for developing that for diversified ag is, is amazing. And we touched on, on cattle. Grass-fed beef, these lands opening up, the A and B lands opening up, are going to make grass-fed beef on Maui. Maui Cattle Company has an amazing brand, but with the droughts that we've been having, the herd sizes have all dropped because they couldn't maintain the feed. With irrigated pastures that you can do in what's called savory cell, it's where you move the cattle every night so they have optimum nutrition with the grass, you need irrigation to do that. A and B's land, the infrastructure is all there. The main lines to bring the water in so you can irrigate these these uh, pastures. It's already cleared. The roads are in place. So it's going to be an amazing boon for, for grass-fed beef. And that's going to grow that whole sector in Hawaii. One of the questions that we get when we talk about changes in farming and lands and and with the release of the Seed Corn Industries report this week that uh, Paul Brubaker did – is concerned that somehow that industry is going to now be ready for a run-up and a new growth and that that might look very attractive to lands such as yours. Is there anything in your mind that would say that those lands would be leased to a company, say, like Monsanto? Uh, You know, at this point, I mean, I I don't think we've ruled anything out. I think, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility to try and, and, and gain a return on those lands and, and try to employ all those lands. Um, you know, they very well could fit into a, a diversified model. Uh, but, at, you know, at this point, we don't have any, you know, concrete plans. We're going to go back to the phone lines. If you'd like to join us, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Kimberly calling us from Honolulu. Aloha, Kimberly. Welcome to Town Square. Hi. Thank you. I had a question about the food crops that you'd be growing. Would they stay in Hawaii or are they intended for export? You know, our goal as we look at, at food crops is definitely import displacement. You know, we obviously think that there is a, an opportunity there to lower our dependence on, on imports. Um, we also think that that's a better market. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And so that's definitely been one of the the places we've started, you know, as we evaluate crops. And then, of course, that intersection with what are the resources it will take to grow those crops. And, you know, the reality is we have very good growing conditions. We have, as Scott pointed out, you know, some very terrific agronomic conditions at HCNS. But we also have to recognize that there are some crops that, that just won't grow well in Hawaii. And so, so disabuse people of what's not coming to Hawaii. 
Um, you know, anything that's photo period sensitive, something that really needs 18 to 20 hours of daylight, you know, some of the things that are grown at, you know, in more temperate conditions, not more tropical conditions. Uh, you know, there are certain tree crops, you know, that, that require that, that fall period. Um, there are certain fruit crops that, you know, that just won't grow as well. I mean, you may grow them, but the quality may not be as, as good. Like what? I mean, name some things. Apples, you know, is a, the kind of apple that you see from Washington. I mean, that's not an, a, a crop that will probably grow very well. You know, definitely not on the HCNS lands. What else? I'm just trying to, to, to mitigate people's uh, Their ideas. Expectations. Well, because when there, there's so much out there, you mm-hmm. say, well, you know, we're willing to try, and, and here's an ag park, and we may be doing some experimentation. Then so the mind goes wild. And because we've gotten very used to having pretty much all things all the time where you can go into your big warehouse market and, and buy things from all over the world, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're getting, you know, super great food some of the time or that it's even, you know, necessarily full of taste when when you have it. In many cases, that may not be the case because it's been picked early and it's had to be shipped here and all those things that impact what happens when you put it on your plate. And then there's the whole point of the fact that, uh, you know, we don't eat seasonally anymore. We've forgotten what that means (laughs) and what that means in Hawaii, which is very different than what it means in Washington. Sure. Uh, you know, grapes would be another, you know, example of something that each CNS lands would probably not grow well. Um, there's a number of crops that we are trying to grow, you know, that historically have not been grown in Hawaii well. Um, you know, corn has done exceptionally well as a seed crop. As we look at it for forage or for biofuel potential, um, it definitely has a seasonal effect because as we get into the winter and the spring months, we just don't have the hours of daylight to get the kind of growth and the kind of yield that you get in other conditions in other places in the you know the continental United States. So there's a number of crops like that that could be grown here, but just from a economies of scale and a yield standpoint, just aren't going to be able to compete with some of our competitors. Scott Enright, what would you like to see grown here that could be grown here? You know, Certainly, and, you know, I touched on it before, things like mangoes. There's, you know, a case could be made that we should never be importing a mango or a pineapple or a banana. You know, we can do better with with all of these things. And we can certainly do much better with leafy greens. Now, and I think we can get that price point right also. It used to be the case that you wouldn't think about competing with, with iceberg lettuce because Imperial Valley's got thousands of acres planted with it. But, you know, there's consumer preferences are changing, as you mentioned. And so there are specialty greens that we can do here. And we can do them well. And especially on the organic side, because one of the things the department works on is invasive species. Organic leafy greens are some of the highest risk products that we have coming into the state. So if we can do a better job of growing those for consumers, say at Whole Foods, it, it's a real service to the state because it helps us with invasive species and it also helps us with import replacements. So specifically, what would you like to see in the leafy greens sector? I mean, the fruit part you covered pretty well, but in terms of leafy greens and other veggies that we have to see brought in here all the time. You know, our, our lettuces, our cabbages, certainly we can do better. We can do better with beans also. So these are crops that... Or other legumes, not just, you know... Yeah, the pulse crops also. We're currently doing... We have some specialty crop block grant money out there playing with those crops and coming up with what the price point is, see how competitive we can be. 
All good news. We want to hear from you, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689, as we're looking at the future of the A&B lands on Maui and in general. Where does Hawaii go when it comes to its own agricultural future? Going now to Ben calling us, I'm sorry, B calling us from Kona. B, are you there? Yes. Hi there. Hi, aloha. Mahalo for taking my call. Pleasure. Thank you guys for what you're doing over there on Maui. I added a point while I was waiting. My son went to Maui High. All four years he did ag at Maui High. They have an awesome program there. So if you guys can afford any land to them or if they reach out to you, please say yes. And then for, as a small farmer here myself in Kona, which is, Kona has a lot of success stories. Um, for, the, for, our, for our clients, for the consumers, choose that, choose that Hawaii mango. Choose that mango. It's a little more. It's worth it. It's better. It's better for you. It tastes better. It's from here. It didn't have any petroleum products burnt to get it here. Like myself, personally, I have strawberries. My strawberries are 100% organic, which means that when I get out there, I got to make sure the birds don't get them, the bugs don't get them, but they're better. You know, strawberries are something you go in the store, it's got more pesticides than any other fruit. My neighbor's got figs. He has uh, shelters that he puts over the figs because the birds are going to come in and eat all your figs unless you cover them when they're producing. My other neighbor has beautiful lettuce that all his lettuce and kale will go to Island Natural. So when you get your smoothie over here on the Big Island with all your healthy kale in it, mm-hmm. it's being produced here. And then my other um, point there is that um, on Maui, I think for your petroleum, I mean for your biofuel, you know, I work for a major rent-a-car company. And I actually spoke to a person there on Maui when I was working on Maui from Brazil. Their ethanol is from sugarcane. And, you know, over here, if you go to Puna, my daughter loves it if we go pick sugarcane from by my mountain property over there. They'll juice the sugarcane straight from the, from the cane. And so it's not, it hasn't been um, high-graded. It's actually good for you. It's 100% natural sugar juice. You can put that on shave ice. Well, I'm watching sort of heads nod around the table here, B. so thanks very much for the call. Let's see if we can get some answers for you. you. Chris, you want to answer her? First of all, in terms of, you know, leasing any land, I saw you nod if if you should get a a reach out from them. Oh, yeah. Maui High. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. We want to, we really want to help the local community. And uh, I do think that the Ag Park is going to be the first and best way to do that uh, in, in the near term, but I'm I'm hopeful that there will be other ways that we can do that to get farming activities going. I, great, uh, great comments, B. I wanted to comment uh, or react to a couple of them. One is just the whole buy local um, notion. You know, I think that Scott speaks very appropriately about price points, and and it is all about price points. And price points, what people are willing to pay, is going to be dependent on several things. It's the food quality that Rick talked about. We don't want to you know, grow bad apricots in Hawaii and try to sell them because no one will buy them. They can buy good ones at, you know, for less money. But we have to focus on those things that we can grow well, that are going to, to do well in Hawaii. And ultimately, though, I think that the buy local um, 
sentiment has to help carry the day because I think we have to be willing in some cases to, to pay more. Now, I'm not saying that every crop is going to be more expensive if grown here, but the more we can do, I mean, the, the more willingness there is to focus on buying local if we can produce these crops, I think the better. And so it really does get back to price points. And one of the things that drives that is the willingness to pay a little bit more. And that's a segue into the ethanol discussion because um, if there's anything that people are not willing to pay for, it's a commodity like fuel. And we've looked at ethanol very uh, extensively, really over the decades, but uh, certainly over the last eight, 10 years, we've analyzed ethanol every which way to figure out if it could be a viable fuel for us to produce from sugarcane or from the molasses, which is a byproduct of the sugarcane milling. And uh, we got close at one point, but then when energy prices fall the way they do, the value of the fuel goes down and nobody's going to pay four or five dollars a gallon for ethanol if, 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 for example, that's what it takes to make it profitable when you can buy gas at the at the pump for two fifty, and so um, it all does come down to pricing. I'm not I'm not wishing for higher fuel prices, but I will say that if that happens down the road, um, or if we have an, a, a willingness locally with with uh, the powers that be to pay more for fuel, whether it's the military or or uh, the PUC or or um, others, then that might help catalyze a biofuel industry. But right now, it's very tough with fuel prices being as low as they are. We've talked about price point in, in different ways. But just to kind of cut to the chase in all of this stuff, we know it's going to be a little higher, given everything that what you've all said. Don't we really have to look ourselves in the mirror and come to terms with the fact that we are going to be paying more for our food, particularly if we want food grown in Hawaii, and just not try to sugarcoat it and just say, you know, if you're, this is really important to you, make adjustments elsewhere? I, I would say yes, and I think it's not just on food security; it's on, or you know, food production. But I think both the food food security and energy security arguments ultimately get to that. We have to be willing to pay up if we want to be uh, less reliant on the outside world in Hawaii. Okay, so how does that ring in your ears? Are you willing to just suck it up and realize that it's going to be a little bit more for you to pay for the kind of groceries that are grown here locally? maybe for energy, too, at some point, but not trying to wish that it just stays the very same and that we have the same kind of, you know, grocery bills that we've always had. Maybe we just need to adjust what it is that we're buying. Are you willing to do that? 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Consumers could have a big hand in what is grown here and what's not. And all of it comes down to what will people buy? 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Carl calling us from the Big Island. Aloha, Carl. Thanks for your patience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Your show is so wonderful. Thank you. Um, And I just wanted to ask about um, the A&B game plan or responsibility for the food and beef production lands. Do you check them before they're redeployed, um, like to check the soils for leftover, like negative things from the old days in the sugar production, like arsenic? And are we going to have a control quality check after market just to make sure that those things are not showing up in what we grow on the lands? I was wondering. All right, Carl, thank you for the question. Rick, yeah, can you take that one? Sure. Thank you, Carl. Um, you know, we obviously 
number one, I think as farmers, you know, you you strive to do everything you can responsibly, and that includes, you know, applying herbicides and pesticides only when you really need to and in the amounts that are, you know, acceptable by law. But we do, you know, again, test our soils um, as we're growing purpose-grown forage for livestock feed. We test our forage for palatability, for energy content, and really for any bad actors might, that might be there. So, yeah, I, I, the answer is, you know, definitely, because that will go a long way in preserving, you know, what we're trying to produce, which is quality, you know, beef production. All right. Thanks very much, Carl, for the call. Going to go now to Gus calling us from Javi. Aloha, Gus. Welcome to Town Square. Hey, good evening, folks. Hey, I really appreciate your program, and I Thank appreciate you. what you folks are t- intending to do. And, yeah, I pay whatever it takes to get this island organic and your folks island organic and get our local people eating well. And, you know, here's one, a wild one for you. Why don't we collaborate with McDonald's and uh, the other quick food places and get them to buy whatever we're growing on on the A&G property. And you know what? Hemp will purify your soil, folks. You guys can get that going. If you plant hemp, it will it will take those trace elements out of your soil. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get down on my knees, hands and knees right now, and beg you and implore you not to collaborate with Monsanto or Bear on any level. They're not for us, folks. They're just not for us. Yeah, I love you guys. Aloha. Thanks for your patience, and keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Gus. Thank you very much. So you know, his, his point about, yes, we'd be willing to pay more for this and keeping people eating well and, and organically here if possible. I mean, that's, that's a different, little bit different impulse of just saying, hey, let's eat local food, but what is it about organic farming? It seems that that's a different that's a different path for someone if they choose to be an organic farmer. You heard the woman who called a little earlier. I think it was B from Kona saying, you know, if the birds can get it, the bugs can get it. You've got to be vigilant. You have to have a, a very dedicated way of being when you are growing organically. Plus, you have to be certified if you want to be able to grow it as such. Is there more of an impulse that you see, Scott, for people to be organic farmers with so much food that we have <clears throat> been bringing into the state? as organic produce to uh, to be sold here. You know, the first thing I'd like to touch on, Bethann, is um, the work that Ulupono Initiative did back in 2011. It came out in the early 2012 that showed us that consumers in Hawaii had a preference. Eighty-five percent of the consumers would buy local. But where it came apart was at price point. They would up to a certain point. They'd only pay a certain differential to get local food, and that that's, and it wasn't much. It it wasn't significant, um, but it's something that we could certainly work with. And Rick touched on it, it earlier. Organic is is a growing percentage of the, of the market, but right now it's four percent of all our farm gate in the state, and it's like three percent on the mainland. So. It's a very small sector in agriculture. It's a growing sector. Um, we might have a demographic in Hawaii that's interested in it. And so if the, if the demand is there, the, the farmers who can make a profit will do it. Yeah. There are certain you know, supermarkets that you walk into where once before they had a, a table the size of you know, our, our table here that was organic, and now you see a whole aisle of organic produce and people coming in asking for more. Clearly, this is being consumer-driven. If that 
continues to be and people continue to pay for it, then that might push the needle? Yes. You know, agriculturalists are very practical people. If it makes sense and they can make a profit doing it, they do it. So if it was a huge market that was a, a guaranteed success, you know, HCNS would now be looking at, at jumping into that at, at some scale. Um, it'll be driven by the marketplace. All right. Let's talk to some of those out in the marketplace. Going to take a few more callers. Tim calling us from Lahaina. Aloha, Tim. Thanks for well, your thank call. Thank you guys for taking the time to uh, answer our questions. Well, and I hope you guys are dry out there. Is definitely to move towards supporting local produce. And a question I have is I think a concern for some of us is uh, urban sprawl. And I wanted to get a feel for what your confidence level is in that keeping all of these lands as productive ag is the most advantageous. And if there's any thoughts into trying to rezone or look at different parcels in a different way. Tim, in a different way and to try to rezone. Yeah, th- uh, thanks very much for the question. I mean, that's another one of the big fears, too, is that somehow this land is going to disappear. And we talked a little bit about did, that when yeah. you were here last time, so maybe you want to reprise some of yeah, what you l- said. Yeah, let me reiterate some of what I said. Um, so, Tim, all of the land that is farmed by HCNS, so we talk about this 36,000 acres, and I think, Rick, it's another 4,000 or so of acres that aren't in crop but are roadways and gulches. And, and And so it's about 40,000 acres of land dedicated to HCNS. Of those 40,000 acres, I think about 50 maybe are zoned that could be developed at some point. The rest are all zoned for agriculture, and more than half of them, I believe, are zoned as important agricultural land. So it's an even higher level of restriction. None of those lands are in our development plans anywhere in the near future. In in fact, um, the decision to shut down HCNS doesn't in any way change um, or or create um, zoning objectives for those lands. We do have developments on Maui that we have either fully entitled. For example, we own land at Wailea. We have a development called Kamalani in Kihei. Uh, we have Maui Business Park uh, in Kahului. Those lands are all outside of the lands that we're talking about. So I can say with confidence that that these lands are going to be in agriculture for a very long time. And, um, and, and so that's why we're so focused on trying to make sure that we can find the right uses uh, for them to keep them in agriculture. Tim, thanks very much for the question. Going to go now to Chris calling us from Kaneohe. Aloha, Chris. And we're running a little short of time, so I'll ask you to be brief. Oh, I'll try. Thanks. <laughs> I actually have some experience in this area. I got, um, I did a bunch of study on this issue, and my, I worked in some farms on Maui with the onion growers and some lettuce growers up in Kula, and there was a lot of local support on the island for locally grown, but the biggest difference was trying to get those crops to Oahu, where the biggest market is. And the work I've done on Oahu when I worked with... Um, Aloon Farms and some other stuff, you could see all that land being able to be used for the island's needs, but now it's going into, like you just talked about, development. So they've lost all those lands, so there's definitely a potential for these Maui lands to replace some of the crops that um, Alex Sue used to grow. If there was a way to cheaply get them over here, whether they return to the super ferry or some form of delivery other than okay, the so airline. let's let's talk let's talk about distribution then. With all of this, as you bring up a really good point, Chris. I mean, it's no good if it's growing over there and we can't get it over here, where there's probably going to be a much better market for it. 
or a big market for it. Any plans to be able to create that kind of stream here? You know, we continue to work on transportation needs and labor needs around the state. Um, As chair of agriculture, I asked Glenn Hong, the president of Young Brothers, to be a member of the board of agriculture. And we currently work with him on those those transportation issues and trying to get the pricing so that produce that's grown on the neighbor islands can can get here and be competitive. And again, you know, what's needed is scale. If you get a, a farming enterprise or a co-op, if, if farmers co-op together and they could fill up entire containers, they become competitive because Young Brothers is willing to give you know, significant rate reductions if you're moving it in any kind of scale. And so, again, it's scale and price point, and we can get it right. All right. Thanks very much, Chris. Raphael from Honolulu, are you there? Yep. I'm okay. Here. Very, just, very, 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 very quickly. Yep. Very quickly. I was just wondering about culturally relevant crops such as breadfruit, which is very nutrient-dense and also has huge productions per acre. Okay, Raphael, we talked a little bit about that earlier in the show, so I'll just tell you that the podcast will be up probably a a little bit after the show, and you can catch up with that, but very briefly we'll let you catch up here, Rick. He's asking about, again, those traditionally culturally appropriate crops. Yeah, uh, we've definitely fielded a lot of interest, and breadfruit specifically has has gotten some interest from people that would like to come in and do plots, and we've actually looked at it as part of an agroforestry solution where you could potentially run uh, breadfruit trees and livestock in in basically the same paddocks and pastures. All right, so that's a quick answer for you, Raphael. Thanks very much for the call. And I'm sorry for the other callers that we're not going to be able to take tonight, but we're coming almost to the end of the hour, and I want to go around the table again. As we talk to each other, say, from five, five years from now, what that's on your wish list uh, do you really see as being the place that we've arrived, given everything that we've talked about tonight and some of the things that you may know that we haven't talked about tonight? What does ag look like for A and B, and what does ag look like in the state? And you've got about 20 seconds each. Go ahead. Well, I hope that we're able to take advantage of the tremendous asset that HCNS is with the, the, the lands, the soils, the infrastructure, the water, everything else, that, that the opportunity that we have. And it's going to require collaboration, but I hope that we've got many thousand acres already in cultivation and more opportunities that are emerging. Rick? Exactly the same thing. I, I think we've got a tremendous opportunity here, um, you know, to increase food and fuel self-sufficiency in the in the state. And Scott and right, we'll let you. But Beth Ann, it it's all about opportunity. And the although I I hate to see the end of sugar, having been a worked in sugar myself, there's an opportunity to grow diversified agriculture along with our partners at at A and B and HCNS. Scott Enright, Chris Benjamin, and Rick Volner, thank you very much for the last hour. Thank you too for joining us. I'll see you tomorrow morning for the conversation. Meanwhile, have a good evening. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich. Aloha.